everybody. My name is Alexandra Rachitskaya. I'm from uh, Cleveland Clinic Cola Institute. And it's my pleasure to participate today in the new Retina Radio Journal Club that we're doing together with VBS. Uh, during this uh, Journal Club discussion, we bring to you papers that have been recently published. And we talk about topics that, uh, in my opinion, affect everybody's care of uh, our retina patients. And um, today I'm joined uh, by my West Coast uh, colleagues and friends. Um, and uh, I'm gonna introduce each one of them. So we'll start with Mernali Gupta. Mernali practices at Retina Associates of Orange County, California. Mernali, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having us. Awesome. And next uh, we have Eric Nuruman. Eric is from Shiley Eye Institute at UC San Diego. Eric, how are you? Doing great. Hi, Alexandra. Great to be here. Awesome. And we also have with us today Aristanos. He's at Legacy uh, Devers Eye Institute in Portland, Oregon. Aris, good to have you as well. Alexandra, great to be here. Awesome. So today uh, we're going to uh, discuss one of the studies that we found interesting. We're going to summarize this, the study and then follow that, that by uh, discussion. So uh, let's start off today. Uh, we're going to talk about end of study results for letter phase two trial of the port delivery system with ranibizumab for neovascular age-related macular degeneration. So as you might know, we had the primary results already published. Uh, this is a paper that is uh, pre-proof and is um, uh, coming out from ophthalmology retina. And uh, it was uh, published, uh, it was written by Arshad Kanani and uh, letter investigators. So I'm gonna uh, pass it on to Eric to summarize the paper for us. Great, thanks very much, Alexandra. Um, so I'm gonna briefly summarize the paper. This is a phase two clinical trial that evaluated the port delivery system for the treatment of wet AMD. So patients were randomized three to three to three to two to receive either the low dose port delivery system uh, with ranibizumab that was at 10 milligrams per mil, the middle dose, which was 40 milligrams per mil, or the high dose, which was 100 milligrams per mil. And those were compared to monthly uh, intravitreal injections of ranibizumab. 220 patients were enrolled, and they had to have, a sh have shown a response to anti-VEGF therapy. What that meant was uh, they had to have two or more injections, uh, but less than nine of an anti-VEGF, and had to have shown about a 50 micron, uh, was 50 micron or more reduction in their central subfoveal thickness um, or stabilized or improved uh, visual acuity. Um, the end of study results were the time to first refill of the port delivery system or the mean and the mean change in uh, their best corrective visual acuity and central subfoveal thickness from baseline. And of course the uh, safety outcomes. So here's the uh, uh, top line outcomes. Uh, in the high dose group, the median time to refill was 15.8 months. In the high dose group, uh, about 60% is 59% of patients went longer than one year before they needed a refill. And at month 22, uh, patients lost a few letters in the low and medium dose group is 4.6 and 2.3 respectively but the high dose group gained mean letters of 2.9, which was similar in the gains of the ranibizumab group, which was 2.7. Uh, 
there were really no new safety concerns to worry about compared to those that were already published. The main things were the vitreous hemorrhages that were uh, uh, early on in the study until they changed the protocol uh, and some issues with the uh, with conjunctival erosion, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, and uh, a few infections. But other, other than that, uh, the, the final results, which were published here, there were really no new safety concerns. Um, so just to summarize here, uh, the conclusion was that the port delivery system was non-inferior to monthly ranibizumab, particularly in the high dose group, um, which was the data that led to um, the phase three trial, which was Archway. So Eric, that's a, that's a great summary. And uh, we'll talk probably a little bit more when we discuss the paper, uh, since now we have even results, some of the primary results of the Archway. But uh, talking about this publication, this end of uh, study results, maybe I can ask Mernali on her first impressions and kind of uh, what, what you thought about reading after reading this paper. Yeah, um, I think that the first impressions are uh, that it's compelling, that it's consistent with the nine month data that we had seen earlier. Um, and this is of course, it's a phase two trial uh, with, with some limitations, um, although it was large and randomized and it, it's great that we controlled against our gold standard for wet AMD with monthly ranibizumab. Um, it wasn't a mass study and the refill criteria and things like that were very quantitative, which aren't really how we practice clinically where we look qualitatively at an OCT scan and assess for fluid changes and specifically where the fluid is. But nonetheless, this is a phase two study that was laying the groundwork for the future archway trial uh, along the same, same lines. We had to contend with the realities of the changing um, surgical procedure, um, just learning how to implant this device and how that changed outcomes over time. And, um, and of course, you know the, the study population that we're looking at is a group that has milder wet AMD and has demonstrated response. So extrapolating to how that might uh, apply to the broader population is, is a question that I think we all wonder about. So Mernali, that was a great perspective. Um, I'll pass it on to uh, Aris. Um, what do you think uh, those results mean to you as you think of your clinical practice? I think these are all very exciting um, results because we know that there is a, a, there is a gap uh, between the visual outcomes and the visual gains that patients with AMD have in clinical trials uh, versus real world. So that, um, and we know also that the high treatment Bird, uh, the high treatment burden for AMD uh, and this frequent injections, this frequent visits are one of these uh, limitations, and especially in light of this recent pandemic. Um, so uh, having uh, a sustained uh, delivery system of medication uh, that, um, that may bridge that gap and also um, help with other issues like access to care, caregivers being uh, burdened to bring their uh, uh, their loved ones to to the appointments every month um, and certainly again this is uh, this is uh, this is very very exciting well I I share your enthusiasm and I think um, as you mentioned there's such a big unmet need when it comes to taking care of these patients and uh, we'll talk a little bit more after we take a break 
But I have to tell you, just seeing patients in clinic uh, that I've been treating for neovascular AMD and mention to them that there might be something coming where they won't need to come see me every month, um, you know, has been generating a lot of excitement. You know, I always get the line, you know, I, I like coming to see you, but I really don't, don't like getting the injections. So um, let's revisit uh, a little in a little bit more detail as we take after we take this little break. Welcome back. Uh, we're back with the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Alexandra Ratchetskaya, and I'm joined here today uh, with Mernali Gupta, Eric Nudelman, and Aristanos. So before we went on, on break, uh, Eric nicely summarized the results of the uh, paper we're discussing. This is the end study results of letter two. And, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the outcomes were pretty impressive. Uh, so what do you guys think of these results? I, I was I was quite impressed, particularly with the high dose group. Uh, the fact that some of the patients um, didn't need uh, a refill for uh, for over a year uh, is quite encouraging. Um, and and the fact that their their visual gains were maintained uh, for the duration of the study and were comparable to monthly uh, anti VEGF therapy, ranibizumab therapy. Um, it, it certainly uh, is intriguing, and I'm excited for the uh, to, to for the official results of the Archway trial. Um, the Archway trial, as I'm, I'm sure you guys are all aware, had a had a fixed refill uh, procedure at six months. So if if that's what ultimately the uh, FDA approves to be able to uh, treat patients every six months. Would be uh, would be a big step forward um, for our field. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's interesting. You know, it's it's always interesting to me when the trials get designed. How you transition from uh, phase two, where there was particular kind of retreatment criteria, and as Mernali mentioned, it might not be really the retreatment criteria that we're used to, uh, because there was some tolerance for fluid to a phase three. And um, um, I know some of you on this, uh, on this podcast have participated in phase three and that mandated uh, six months refill. And Eric, as you mentioned, um, uh, there was a presentation at ASRS uh, this summer about the results of Archway. And it was shown that um, primary results, it was uh, non-inferior, PDS was non-inferior to monthly ranibizumab. But as we look at these trials, and let's go back to the paper we are discussing, you know, there, there have been some safety concerns. Obviously, PDS is a surgical procedure. So um, uh, what, what do you guys think about this safety? Should we be worried? And uh, um, do you think it's, you know, when, when you talk to a patient and you can send them now for surgery to treat the neovascular AMD, what kind of conversation are you going to have with them? You know, I think the two the two most compelling concerns from a safety standpoint are the vitreous hemorrhage and the the endophthalmitis. Um, it it seems from the study that a majority of the vitreous hemorrhage uh, events occurred before optimization of the surgical procedure, and although there were some subsequent to that, most were not serious vitreous hemorrhages. Um, so that's compelling, but I think we're all eager to see in. Uh, uh, the next trial, the Archway trial, uh, really how this vitreous hemorrhage story plays out. As I'm sure the surgeons who are doing the the uh, implants and who have been learning this optimized technique are just getting better and better at it as well. And there might be a learning curve 
the, the specific things that are involved in the study are not the typical things we do in, in most of our studies in terms of the um, implant procedure, which seems simple, but I think it sounds like it needs to be done in a very specific way to mitigate that hemorrhage risk. Um, the other concern, of course, is the, the endophthalmitis risk. And you know, there were three cases, only one of which was in the immediate post-op period. The other two happened subsequently, and, and one of those was due to conge retraction. So I think we all wonder about conge complications, exposure, um, erosion of, of the, the uh, implant through the conge. Is this something that you will avoid in patients with glaucoma who might be facing glaucoma surgeries down the road or a bad ocular surface or any of those things? Because three cases of endophthalmitis, although all were culture negative, is, is something that makes us all take pause. So Marnal, I totally agree with your comments. And it's interesting because I think the conjunctiva issue is a real one. Uh, you know, in most of our surgeries that we do when we deal with conjunctiva, uh, we might not be as, as retina surgeons as careful with it as uh, maybe our glaucoma counterparts. And here, uh, conjunctiva closure, tenons and conjunctiva closure is really, really important um, because um, the, there is a risk of erosion. Uh, so. You know, as we as we think about all these aspects, right? Uh, we have a surgery, we have a refill. So, if uh, RSA, what do you think about how how is this going to translate? If you know, if this gets uh, if this uh, approach gets approved, how is it going to translate into your practice? Yeah. So, uh, with regards to my practice, um, first of all, I'm seeing uh, I'm sharing a lot of patients, so let's say we have uh, concomitant uh, glaucoma procedures that have superior filtering blebs or superior temporal tubes. And um, unfortunately, these patients who at, at this point, they cannot have, they won't be able to have uh, this, uh, this implant. Um, and um, I'm, 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 I'm curious, I, I think these are the patients that I think that, that they're going to uh, hear that unfortunately they don't qualify for that. Uh, and I agree that uh, the that as retina specialists now, especially with this device, we have to be very, very meticulous with uh, uh, taking care of the conjunctiva and closing tenons the, uh, at, uh, with the insertion of this, um, it's in, in this implant. And also we have to think about that um, uh, a significant number of those uh, injections are being performed by comprehensive, sometimes by comprehensive ophthalmologists. This percentage within the country uh, may go up to 15 to 20 percent. So, uh, so that that will first that will translate to an additional. Uh, treat, uh, I guess, in, uh, patient population that retina specialists will have to take care of. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, when we think about the ideal patient, obviously we're looking at trial and there is a lot of exclusion and inclusions, but that's not what happens in your clinic. You can't, you know, you, you have uh, all kinds of variety of patients, like you mentioned, glaucoma patients. And maybe Eric, I'll ask you, what, what do you think is the ideal patient who is going to benefit the most from this approach? Uh, the patient that's tired of getting injections. <laughs> I think this is going to be largely driven by the patient. Um, obviously, uh, it, they're going to have to be aware of the potential 
risks and, and what the, we're well, gonna have to explain to them what the uh, surgical procedure entails. And, and I agree with uh, both of you that patients that have, um, have a risk of glaucoma or, or have had glaucoma surgery are, are not ideal candidates. Um, but there are, are many patients that, that are fed up with having uh, frequent injections or they have to travel long distances um, or they, uh, they, they just uh, are, are not interested in, um, in having frequent therapy for whatever reason. Um, but we know that they, they require them. And I think those are gonna be the patients where a surgical option um, where they can come in quarterly or, or even twice a year perhaps uh, for a refill procedure uh, would benefit the most. Yeah, I think I would, I would echo what Eric says. I think that the patient who needs to get injections more frequently than they want to or more frequently than they're able to will be a great candidate. And of course, um, I probably won't be super excited initially to do these in an anticoagulated patient or as you guys mentioned, patients with glaucoma or conge issues or really terrible ocular surface health. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is that um, the study looked at people who have a demonstrated response to anti-VEGF, and that might be the, the people we initially uh, look to, to to implant this, but there have been some studies, I think Demetrius Vavis recently published in Ophthalmology Retina, that some people who we call non-responders are actually short-term responders. So they, two thirds of them are just responding sooner than four weeks. So if you bring them in at two or three weeks, and I think we've all seen patients where we're not sure if it, they're responding, but you, if you bring them in a little sooner, you see a response. And these patients might be really ideal candidates for, for this because if you're doing the standard thing of having them come back in four weeks and you think there's no response, you know, there's probably a subset where if you bring them in at two or three weeks, they are responding and they'd be an ideal candidate for a continuous uh, ranibizumab uh, implant like this. So I, I agree with, with everything you guys have said, you know, this is very exciting. Uh, obviously there is a huge unmet need in all the populations that we take care of who require frequent injections. And I think it's gonna be interesting to receive uh, results as they come out. We talked a little bit about archway results. There's ongoing studies in diabetic macular edema and diabetic retinopathy. And obviously the patients who have been implanted or patients even who were randomized to standard of care are given an option to have an implant and continue in portal study, uh, which collects a long-term data. So as we get long-term data in terms of safety and visual outcomes, you know, there's discussions and we can talk probably endlessly on this topic, you know, discussions about um, geographic atrophy. We'll have much more information as time goes on. But I agree with you. This is, uh, this is exciting. And I think it's, it's really neat um, that, uh, you know, we've all been practicing for about the same amount of time. And uh, if you think back to your fellowship, uh, this was not something that we were even discussing with the patients, and it's, uh, it might be a reality in the near future. So um, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, discussing this important topic. Um, and I thank the audience for listening uh, to this uh, journal club that's uh, brought to you by New Retina Radio and BBS. And uh, thank you so much, and please stay tuned for our future episodes. <laughs>